Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Insidicast. This week, we're going to be going deep into the dark woods, looking at 1999's The Blur Witch Project. I just want to apologize to Mike's mom and Josh's mom and my mom. And I'm sorry to everyone. I was very naive. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. Because in spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. Hello, everyone. This week on Insidicast, we're going to be looking at the 1999 film The Blair Witch Project, directed by Daniel Myrick, Eduardo Sanchez, written by them both also, along with Heather Donoghue, who's one of the main actresses, or the only actress in the film, uh, although she's apparently not credited, but obviously a substantial part of this film was ad-libbed and made on the spot. So, in many ways, they all have an equal part in making this film what it was today. The film starts out with an opening title, as many films do, which states that in the October of 1994, three student filmmakers disappear in the woods near Burkittsville, Maryland, while shooting a documentary, and a year later, the footage was found. And of course, what you watch in the film is the recovered footage. So I think going into this film, I'm going to say one thing right out of the bat. I don't find that this film is particularly that interesting. And I don't think it's particularly that good. I think in many ways, a lot of the trivia around the film makes the film more interesting than what you actually sit through for an hour and 20 minutes. Now, don't get me wrong. There is pretty good amount of content in this to make it extremely entertaining and sometimes quite unnerving and and quite unsettling to watch. I think this is vastly helped by the handheld camera style that it goes for, which at the time was almost never done in a film ever. And of course, the graininess, the grittiness, and the sort of the aspect ratio really sets in that this film is like like an old videotape that you, you were never meant to see that kind of vibe. And I think, I will say one thing, the, the acting in this film goes from spectacular to bad so rapidly, it, it's crazy. And a lot of this is probably because a lot of this was ad-libbed and sort of improvised on the spot. So you have varying degrees of quality from things that are genuine reactions to things that happened. You know, when people on set are toying with them and throwing things at them and crackling and, and shouting to a lot of made-up tension, a lot of made-up anger, which sometimes can feel very forced and a little bit uh, uncalled for, to the point where it feels a little bit sort of drama class type of I'm angry at you type of scenario. And sometimes the anger is warranted, and that makes a, a definitely more compelling argument and compelling watch. But so much of this film is dedicated 
to shouting at each other and screaming at each other with actually very little dialogue that isn't that, and also quite a lot of dialogue that has nothing to do with the witch or even many reasons of why they were there. The the sort of the concept of this being a documentary where they're going around things uh, is sort of like when it's going around places is dropped as quickly as they get lost, essentially. Um, that whole part of the plot just disappears the second that they realise they're lost. And yeah, naturally that makes sense because you kind of need to be where you need to be to continue the documentary. However, it just seems a little bit odd that you would actually just continue filming things when you don't have a lot of camera roll and a lot of footage. And obviously, yeah, without that, you wouldn't have a film. But this is just the curse of what happens when you have any kind of found footage film, things like Cloverfield and stuff, where like you feel like the characters have to constantly like ask, you know, why are you recording this? Why are you doing this? Why aren't you just like behaving normally and living? And it's like, as much as that's a valid point in some scenarios, I think a lot of the time when directors and stuff do this type of thing, they should remember that we are just here to watch a film and we don't need to be reminded as much as the characters do that they shouldn't be filming this because we want to get involved in the story. We don't want to keep having this sort of fourth wall break where it's kind of like, you know, we know you're watching a film, but like, really, we shouldn't record right now, but we're recording it because you need to watch the film. And less of that, the better. For me, at least. So the team consists of three individuals who are all on a project to look into the Blair Witch. And the Blair Witch lives in a place called Burkittsville, Maryland, which was formerly known as just Blair 200 years ago, where many families came and settled and essentially there was an unusual amount of child death, apparently, especially during the 40s. And, you know, this sort of some hints that the the relatives are kind of covering something up and they they don't actually think it's the witch or that type of thing. And I think this is like a really interesting concept. I wish they kind of played more into the child aspect of it. You did get uh, on one of the nights some kind of sound effects of like children laughing and stuff. And I think more of that could have been kind of cool and more of an explanation of... I feel like the witch just needed a bit more character building. You know, it was kind of actually a lot of the film was more just being afraid of being in the dark and potentially having someone around you who's messing about with you that you can't find. Less the fear comes from the perspective of actually being a witch somewhere in the forest. And maybe this is just like a, a taste thing. Like a lot of people might just disagree with this take altogether and think, actually, no, like it'd be stupid if we just had the witch or like constant references of a witch in a film about witches. But that's just kind of my vibe. So our three main casts is uh, Heather Donahue, uh, Mike Williams, and Josh Leonard. Those are the real names of the real actors. And obviously, if you know some of the trivia from the film, you'll know that they kind of did a lot of marketing to make it seem like they were really missing and that like, it was super real and that the, the film you're watching in the cinema was like actual tapes taken by them and stuff. Very good marketing and a very good way to sell out a film that's extremely low budget, doesn't require a lot of um, depth and complexity into what actually happens. And really, you can see why the production took longer than actual filming, because probably have, you know, like eight days worth of footage and try to 
format that into any kind of functioning narrative for people so that it does actually read as a story when you watch it and that it's not just some random series of footage that just makes no sense, you know? So they get to have like a nice little look around the town and meet some of the locals and do some interviews and, and film and you get a little bit of idea of the backstory of the place and the people there. And obviously everyone there like believes that the witch is real, but you know, doesn't believe in witches. That whole vibe. Urban legends. You know, this happens. This is kind of nice. I think this is like something that builds a lot of the, the character of the town and the place that they're going. Because it's pretty easy to assume that they're going somewhere that they've never been before. And because of that, you need more context. And it's good that this is how the film opens. That we don't just start in the woods. Because that would really defeat like a lot of the point of setting up any kind of urban legend. Otherwise, they could have just turned up any forest, any part of any country. And you would have no idea where they were and what they were doing or why they were there. Except from what they were saying. What this film does do very well is give you a very clear indication of what is designed for general documentary-style footage and what is designed for the project. And this is sort of a flip that they do between black and white uh, on a very, like, lesser quality camera and the normal coloured camera, which isn't equally that good quality, but this is the 90s, so I'm not going to like complain. And essentially with this, you get a really good dynamic in the beginning of what is sort of intended to be there for artistic reasons for the project, what is intended to be there just for background footage. It's quite clever, but they do kind of continue this a little bit too far into the end of the film, where we're still getting this sort of black and white cinematic shots of just trees and stuff and yeah there's dialogue to go along with this but when you think about what the film sets up it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense because like why would they use that camera if it's not for filming actual footage you know they claim that they have loads of batteries so kind of doesn't make sense to rely on both cameras i think at the end of the film it does when you sort of go into the house and you know they're both together and they're both filming because it's super dark and if anything the night vision is probably a lot better than using an actual torch. But through like some of the more stressful moments of the film, kind of just doesn't make sense for me. The film does a really good job at sort of increasing constant feeling of escalation of danger and tension. The second we find out they're lost, we sort of feel their sort of panic and we get to experience that with them. And I think you know it's partly just come with some of the criticism I was saying earlier. Some of the arguments and so the conflict towards Heather feels like really, really unjust. Because as, as much as um it's her project, and as much as it's her trying to lead people through the forest, it is an entirely new place. And sometimes making mistakes does happen. And I feel like that instant switch to complete anger and aggression to the point where like they almost had a fight over the even thought that they could be lost instead of trying to figure out like where they were it's a little bit too soon you know and it, this for me like breaks the film a little bit it, it stops it feeling a little bit it doesn't make it feel natural if that makes sense and i liked more the end portion of the film because i think when josh wasn't around and it was just mike and heather they felt a more like natural progression each night where not only 
just their relationship and dynamic change, but it feels entirely appropriate to what's going on around them. And that just feels way more organic than the first part of this film. So I guess through the sort of first hour of the film, this this constant back and forth between day and nighttime, where I think a lot of the emphasis on the nighttime, and this is where things happen. We can hear voices, the tent shakes, you know, there's crackling and, and all types of weird sounds. This does basically cause them to uh, run away in some instances when they think that the tent is being attacked. And coming back to find that the tent has had things thrown around and disrupted and uh, things stolen. Like, that would send you crazy if you're in that scenario. You know, this constant threat that you can't see. And again, the fact that, like, a lot of this stuff was done to uh, sort of two to three people without them knowing, you know, get some really good genuine reactions out of them. Obviously, you see, like, this progression each night where different things appear. So, sort of stones and collections of stones with snakes and and the most noticeable thing being some goo, some sort of like slime that Josh finds. And you can tell by this that Josh is instantly quite targeted by whatever this group is. And this sort of makes him disappearing like really, really impactful because that's like a targeted attack. And this separates things from just being like an animal or just being uh, sounds that people think that they can hear in their head or like in the, in the dark. It makes it sound... Like, there's some something there with some intelligence that's doing this to them. And, and that's really good. In the daytime, it's mostly them traveling different directions on a compass. They go north and south, and they travel for days just to loop back to exactly where they started. And this is pretty cool. A lot of films have replicated this later on with this type of trippy nature. It's nice to see them do it on a smaller budget, but still be quite impactful. And these are some of the situations where the acting helps, like it really shines and, and makes it feel very believable. I think a lot of the, the story beats in the acting is where it really, really shines compared to some of the more forced tension and drama that feels really weak for me. Of course, we get no visuals of who's in the woods, if it's a witch, if it's a trick, whether it's a group of people. We do get some interesting descriptions of the witch early in the film, that it's sort of someone covered in black fur, wearing some kind of shawl, and just walking by the lake. And obviously this is said by someone that they, they think is crazy, so actually a lot of that part of the stories just get disregarded and spoken over, actually, in quite a rude way. And it makes you think that they don't know or potentially understand a threat that could potentially be out there, because they don't believe it's real. And that means they pay that price later on. And I think that's a really interesting um, little story dynamic to add because it kind of makes you think about how you can have presumptions about people based on how they behave or things that they say or stories that they have. And reminds you that, like, we all have lived experiences and those experiences can be as equally valid as any other experience. And we shouldn't just write it off because it doesn't make sense to us, you know? These people have never lived in this town before. They don't know these people. And yet they have this sort of more student life kind of arrogance where they think, no, that doesn't make sense. They're just a lot of rubbish. Just trying to make a, a scene for themselves. And, you know, like I said, they, they pay the price for that later on. So I guess, like, for me, the first hour of this film is sort of rinse and repeat. 
it sort of go to bed, creepy things happen, wake up, argue, get annoyed, go to bed, creepy things happen, wake up, get angry and annoyed each other because they're lost. And this is where I feel like, in many ways, this film is, although pretty good and magical in some moments, it is mostly a waste of time. Like, the things that films have done in an hour of, like, an hour and a half film is is crazy. You know, this is where people start to go into the third act and the things start to, like, you know, resolve and come together. And by that hour mark, we're still going to sleep, waking up, going to sleep, waking up. It's very, very tiresome and not really that interesting, for me at least. I don't be wrong, I think when Josh goes missing, which is just after that hour mark, that's where things start to get a little bit more interesting. That last, like, 20 minutes is probably the best part of the whole film, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Um, But it was really good because, one, Josh disappearing added some tension and some stakes, right? So now, like, the reality of them potentially dying sets in heavier, so we get to feel that as an audience. We get to experience this with them. And we get a different dynamic with Heather and Mike where they sort of become friends and they sort of um, rely on each other quite heavily for that moral and emotional support. And this is just needed a little bit more earlier in the film, some different levels, some different depths, because it was, it was quite one note in a lot of the dialogue. And this gives you a nice little refreshing change and now they're starting to work together to figure out what they're going to do and what they're going to do even though everything is hopeless and you can feel the hopelessness uh, every time that you see them and every time they talk to each other. But at least now you get to feel like they're going to work through it together and, and maybe come out of the other end. And this is despite the fact Heather has literally like just seen a stick collection outside of a tent and it being covered in blood. Essentially Josh's clothing and I think it looks like teeth. You know, even with all that and the actual panic and chaos that she goes through, uh, you still feel that, that glimmer of hope that at least they're going to try and do something together. So, towards the end of the film, they start on going to East, which is the opposite of West, which is where the Wicked Witch of the West was. I, I quite like that. That was quite nice. Nice little reference. It then kind of cuts like quite abruptly to the nighttime, where Heather talks directly to the camera, which is probably the most... I guess, iconic scene from The Blair Witch. I think, like, if anyone who's ever heard of The Blair Witch, you know, can think of something that happens within that film, they can probably think of, of that scene. It was parodied in Scary Movie, and I think it's probably been replicated in the, the remakes and stuff. I haven't watched the remakes, personally. Uh, maybe that's something I can do at some point, if people would like me to do that. I will set a question on this episode, so if you're on Spotify, uh, you can reply to that question and I'll be able to see your responses. So let me know if you would like me to watch the, the remakes or any of the newer installments and potentially that'll become a future episode and maybe I can compare the remake to this one. But for now, we'll carry on with the, the, the final part of this film. Essentially, they carry on east in the nighttime because they think they hear Josh again. This is sort of the second night on the bounce where they, they think they hear Josh's voice but they think it's people playing tricks with them. That is kind of cool. I like the idea of something potentially mimicking a voice. I think that's quite a nice idea. It reminds me of uh, something else that did this. I think it was um like Annihilation. They had like a they had like a, a bear in that film, 
that could replicate people's voices and that kind of catches people off guard. I really quite like that. So any kind of like mimicking in the dark, I think is kind of creative. So they take the cameras, they head off, and eventually they find sort of this abandoned, dilapidated house in the middle of nowhere. And there's like a massive sort of like bonfire thing outside of it, I think. But outside of that, it looks like a pretty generic abandoned house. They walk around in it and, and Mike's pretty eager because he thinks he can hear Josh. Heather is just chaotically screaming in the back, trying to catch up. Mike just pursues it anyway, and he thinks he hears him in the attic or upstairs. So he heads up two flights of stairs and we start to see this sort of slow, gradual bit of danger when we see like handprints on the wall and letters and symbols and stuff all painted in black. It's really cool. I wish the film just had a little bit more of that throughout. You know, like the rocks are cool, the sticks are cool, things hanging from the trees are okay. Uh, you know, a little bit of blood here and there, sure. But I think some kind of escalation of that slightly paranormal side, I think, would be kind of cool because I think the paranormal thing has already been established with the fact that they're literally walking in circles despite the fact that they're heading in one direction with a compass. So you may as well just lean into it a bit heavier and make it a little bit more creepy. When they get to the top of the stairs, they think they hear him downstairs now, so Mike just does a 180 and runs downstairs. So I think they head into what is the basement. Mike heads in first. He sort of, I assume, gets knocked out. And the camera falls to the floor. There's no sound. Just all sort of, not fades to black, but stays on grey, let's say, because of the camera. And then this is like followed by Heather with the other camera. She sort of sees um, Mike stood in the corner. Another, probably one of the big, like, iconic things about this film, and I think many of the remakes probably rec- like recreated that as well, I can imagine. Because, realistically, this this is, I think, a really big important thing about this film when people look back on this. There's only two really iconic things in this film. There is the talking to the camera scene and someone facing the wall in the basement. That is it. Outside of that, there's practically nothing about this film that is in any way memorable and like i said at the beginning most of the interesting aspects of this film is the trivia that's around it not that goes into it and not what's in it story-wise and complexity and this is because you need a script <laughs> you need to give actors some kind of guidance in, in what's meant to be happening throughout each part of the, the film you know sort of just giving actors some cameras having them sleep in the woods for like a week, you know, try and toy with them a little bit. To be fair, to be fair, they they did apparently try and stay in character for pretty much all of it, which is probably the only way you're gonna get any kind of like good consistent content back. But man, uh, there's not a lot of standout moments in in this film, and maybe we're just spoiled these days because modern horror, all Hollywood wants to do is just throw really bizarre, iconic crazy imagery at you and kind of freak people out you know for some people i think the simplicity will work enough on its own but for me it's just kind of lacking a lot so this has been uh, a pretty short uh review but basically there's not too much to say about this film and i kind of i don't want to waffle on too long in a lot of these reviews um a lot of it is mostly just me over analyzing stuff and I need to control myself sometimes. 
if you've checked out the episode now and you've potentially been here for a while now, you might have seen a change in some of the logo and the design. Uh, yeah, we got the OG Insidious font from the film and a bit more of a simplistic um, design for the, the podcast logo because it'll just make some transferring sort of the software a little bit easier and more straightforward. So when I start to do some of the YouTube stuff, eventually when that happens, um, I just have a font to work with and it's just so much more simpler than just uh, trying to replicate the gradients and, and the blood spire and all that kind of stuff I did previously. So let me know what you think uh, and if you like it. If I'm allowed to set more than one question, I will. Uh, maybe you can answer that on the actual video. If not, I will stick to the first one. Uh, let me know if you think I should watch the, the remakes and some of the other Blow Witch projects. Um, let me know on Instagram or Twitter if there's any ones in particular you'd like me to watch. Originally, I was probably going to plan on doing these uh, a little bit later in the year because um, I'll be going to For Love of Horror again in Manchester in October. Other people are going there. Let me know. That'd be cool. Uh, and obviously, originally, they had the cast from The Blue Witch. Uh, some scheduling problems. That's been delayed now. I think they're going to come back next year, so they won't be there this year. So it makes sense to just get the episode out there and my thoughts and feelings about that film. And maybe by the time uh, it comes around to next October, if I go again, then I might have covered more than one episode about The Blue Witch. Final thing. Uh, next week, I should have an episode with my friend. Uh, we did record it already. There were some technical issues with the audio. So we're probably going to go back and redo some of that. So don't worry. That will come next week on schedule. We're going to be talking about Train to Busan. Absolutely classic film if you haven't seen that. Uh, you should definitely go watch it because it is stellar. Please uh, check out the links on the episode. Especially the link tree makes things a lot easier. This will just take you to the Instagram, Twitter, YouTube page. All the good stuff. And you can just, you know... Give me a like and show some support on that. And obviously have a conversation with me about stuff. That's kind of what I want to do. Start a bit of community going. Should be nice. Thank you all for listening. Uh, if you've made it this far. This has been my review of The Blown Witch Project from 1994. Which from me gets a 3 out of 5. Which I think is pretty fair. That is all for now. I will see you all in the next one.